<laughs> Kimberly Rothwell is digging a hole in her backyard. I'm planting a blueberry tree. I've just bought from the garden centre. And I'm going to um, plant a lemon tree as well. Why? Because, well, a, f a couple of friends of mine who are quite right on kind of people have been doing this for about a year or so where if they take a big car trip or airplane trip or something like that, they'll plant a tree to sort of offset their carbon emissions. And I thought that would be a good sort of habit to get into. Kimberley's concerned about global warming and has already begun to take steps that we all may end up taking once the Kyoto Protocol first commitment period kicks in next year. During this four-year period till 2012, New Zealand has to attempt to bring its average greenhouse gas emissions back to 1990 levels. If it can't, then it must purchase emission units on the international market to make up for the excess. The indications are that the country's total emissions could be 30% over the target, and Treasury estimates that will cost the country $578 million. I do believe that in the years to come, the pride we take in our quest for sustainability and carbon neutrality will define our nation as our quest for a nuclear-free world has over the past 23 years. In February, the Prime Minister Helen Clark stated that New Zealand should aspire to become carbon neutral. The Director of Environmental Studies at Victoria University, Professor Rafe Chapman, explains exactly what that means. It's an idea that you should reduce your carbon emissions as much as possible and you should offset the rest. Uh, so it's got those two simple elements. The idea is that you should head towards zero carbon emissions. That's hard to get to. So on the way, you do two things. You, you manage your emissions, you pull them down as much as possible, and you also look at the emissions you've got left that you can't reduce, the inescapable ones that you just keep on emitting because you don't want to change your lifestyle or the way your corporate business runs, and you go out and plant trees to offset the emissions there. Isn't there a risk, though, that some groups or individuals may not actually reduce their emissions? They may just say, OK, let's see how much we emit. OK, it's 40 tonnes of carbon. Let's just offset that, rather than actually making any reductions. Yeah, there's a risk of that, but it's, it's not... I don't think you want to exaggerate that risk because the very fact of making people aware of uh, how much they're emitting is, is helpful in itself. So people start thinking about how much they're emitting and they think, gosh, um, you know, if I take this plane trip to the United States, it's going to be responsible for eight tonnes of carbon or whatever. And so they think, well, perhaps I shouldn't do that this year or, you know, save up for next year. So it actually makes them more conscious about their emissions. And that works quite well at a corporate level. Um, managers start thinking, how can we reduce our corporate emissions? You know, can we put in teleconferencing, for example? It's only because it's costing them money, though, isn't it? Well, it's both, offset. isn't it? You know, what, what they're doing is they're becoming more aware of it, and they're aware that they can make cost savings if they cut their carbon emissions. So they're doing two things at once by... Um, you know, being more heading towards carbon neutrality. They're saving themselves money and they're positioning their companies better. Currently, aside from a moral obligation, there's no pressure from the government for individuals or households to become carbon neutral. So who's actually doing it? Kimberly's digging holes in her backyard prompted by her right-on friends. But not everyone has right-on friends. What's happening elsewhere? At Wellington's Timarua Speedway on Saturday night, for instance. It's dusk and cars of all shapes and sizes are hurtling around a muddy track. 
some of the cars racing tonight use aviation fuel or avgas, which is a high-octane fuel. Others run on 96-octane that's available at the pumps. Whether it's the gas, the engines or the way they drive, I'm not really sure, but whatever the cause, there's a large cloud of fumes covering the crowd. I'm going to go and ask some of the drivers if they think about offsetting their emissions. How's it going? Not bad, yourself? I'm good, thank you. Is this yours? My son's, yeah. Yeah? yeah. Did you build it? We did. It's a, agri- um, a standard stock car. It um, runs 240 cubic inches, so Ford six-cylinder power for a three-speed gearbox. Does it run on petrol or on? Yep, on high-octane high fuel. What does that mean? Just the highest you can get at the pump. 96, I think it is. 96, yeah. Do you guys plant trees at home? Well, I do. I've just bought a property and we just finished planting them about three, three, three weeks ago. Yeah, it's sort of a balance. You know, man's got to do what man does, enjoy life, and this is all part of it. Offsetting your, your yeah. emissions and everything. That's right. So that's what it's all about. Looking after the environment and enjoying life. What kind of gas does it run on? F gas. F gas. Yeah, F gas. Like, like jet fuel. It's not very environmentally friendly. Oh no, but. <laughs> I'm sure that'll change in the future though. Hoping there'll be a biofuel that'll come in. Exactly. I talked to this guy before who said that, because he was racing a stock car, and he said that they'd plant trees to offset the fumes that come out of their car. Okay. Do you do anything like that? Uh, not that I know of. <laughs> <laughs> Would you think about it? Don't know, I've never, never heard of it before, so never know what happens in the future, who knows. So not everyone's aware of the idea of offsetting emissions, and many of us probably don't know much about how. To find out what's entailed, I talked to the technical manager of Landcare Research's Carbon Zero programme, Professor Anne Smith. For individuals, this is a reasonably easy thing to do. They can work out their carbon dioxide emissions using simple calculators, putting in data from their electricity bills, from their fuel bills, preferably using their litres of fuel, and any air travel that they've made can be put in in terms of their distance travelled. Most of the simple calculators then use some standard factors to convert those figures into carbon dioxide emissions. That gives you a tonnage. The average tonnage per household in New Zealand is around about 19 tonnes, depending on the size of the household, per year. And to reduce that to zero would simply require the purchase of, say, 19 tonnes of carbon credits. To see just how it works, Anne enters my data into the carbon calculator. And if we just select March, and do you know roughly what sort of electricity you use in a month? Um, Our bill's about $140. So that's probably about, about 600 kilowatt hours, say. For a month, and though reticulated gas, no, none of gas, the diesel, coal, none of those. No. The next section on the calculator deals with private transport, and asks you to put in your petrol or diesel or LPG that you use for your car. I'd say I'd probably pay about forty dollars a month. I use about three quarters of a tank, which so that's would be about forty liters, maybe. Yes, let's well, let's call it thirty-five liters. I think that's okay. probably roughly what that is. Then the next module has an option for whether you're using a city bus or a train or a ferry, so public transport. I cycle. You cycle. Oh, that's brilliant. We should give you credit for that. (laughs) And then there's also the option to put in other transports, so um, scheduled coaches between cities or international air or domestic air. So no no flights. No. Okay, brilliant. 
and then the last module is asking you to estimate how many bags of rubbish you put out per per week or how many wheelie bins because any rubbish going to landfill will generate methane which is a very potent greenhouse gas. We do recycle paper and we compost too so oh, we can okay. click that yeast up there. Yep. We'll probably put out a city rubbish bag once every three weeks. So we'll put say 1.2 Okay. because that's per, oh no, every two weeks, yeah about 1.2 per month. Yeah. And then we can actually ask it to produce a, an emissions report, clicking on the button to generate the emissions report. But what's happening then is the, the calculator is taking that data that you put in there and, and doing the calculation for you Okay. against, against a database which has all the standard emissions factors. Wow, look at that. Goodness. We have come up with 183 kilograms, not tonnes. That's come out for the month of, of March at around about 0.2 tonnes. So my annual carbon emissions work out at just over two tonnes, costing me $75 to offset. And to do that, I could plug my credit card details into the Landcare site, and my money would then be put into verified projects that offset emissions. Those projects include regeneration of native bush, renewable energy generation, or energy efficiency projects. It's a fledgling industry, and the Carbon Zero program is New Zealand's first comprehensive offset provider. My $75 bill would go up substantially if I drove my car more, used more power or sent more to the landfill. And my annual carbon emissions would be more than doubled by just one return trip to Hawaii. Airplane emissions are the killer for those trying to reduce their carbon footprint. A return trip to Europe from New Zealand will add at least 10 tonnes of carbon to the atmosphere per passenger. That single trip will create more emissions than 20 Bangladeshi would cause in an entire year. Most scientists and environmental experts agree that air travel is the biggest global hurdle in the attempts to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. The reasons are twofold. Firstly, the huge distances that are covered by aircraft in a short time, and secondly, the emissions are released directly to the troposphere, the area 10 to 13 kilometres above the Earth's surface. So a trip to Europe can be offset by paying between $175 and $300 to an offset provider. That difference in cost depends on whose carbon calculator is used, but does that mean a different quality of offset is being paid for? Business commentator Rod Oram says there is variability in the quality of offsets, and offset providers who've become established overseas look at that very carefully. They want to make sure that it's a good, well-managed forestry scheme and the trees are going to remain planted. They want to know that uh, one of the classic ones is there's a big push in Jamaica to install new-style fluorescent light bulbs in the whole tourist sector there. You can measure that kind of stuff. So those are good, reliable offsets. And the quality of them and the certification of them is a really important process. And he says the cost of absorbing carbon can vary quite considerably. Native bush regeneration is a very cost-effective way. There is money involved in the landowner setting aside that land and in land care research doing the survey of that land and then the ongoing monitoring of it. But the cost of that is considerably less than establishing a new plantation forest in Siberia, for example. There'll be much higher costs there, and therefore the promoter of that sink is going to have to charge more for every tonne of carbon that's absorbed by the forest.
Rod Oram says there's a great opportunity for New Zealand to become a source of high-quality, relatively inexpensive carbon sinks. So as individuals, we become carbon neutral by first reducing our emissions as much as we can, offsetting what we can't reduce, and then buying credits using an offset provider. That sounds simple enough for individuals, but can businesses do it? Rod Oram believes they can. One of the largest examples around is HSBC, which is one of the world's largest banks that has done it for its own operations. There is a very good argument often that by investing in more energy-efficient technology or different sources of energy, whilst there is an investment up front, there is actually an economic payback because you're reducing your energy costs over time and with the benefit of reducing your emissions also. So I think it's a really great discipline that um, companies should be getting involved in. And some in the service sector are also getting involved. I'll mention two from a growing list. The Bank of New Zealand has set itself on a path to carbon neutrality by 2010. The chief executive of BNZ, Cameron Klein, says the bank decided to aim for carbon neutrality as it thought it should be contributing to the communities and environments of which it's part. We want to work with our customers because a lot of them are actually facing similar issues about carbon emissions and carbon neutrality. And by taking our organisation through it, we better understand it and we think we can actually work quite positive with our customers in, in their challenges. Businesses are getting on the carbon neutral bandwagon, but it seems it's mostly those who don't have to make major reductions to get there. And of course, any savings made on power bills helps the bottom line. Meridian Energy is the first electricity company to have its product certified by Landcare as carbon neutral. Surely it's easy for Meridian to do that. All its electricity operations currently come from hydro or wind generation, which don't emit greenhouse gases. But Chief Executive Keith Turner says it hasn't been easy at all. We chose three or four years ago to be a pure renewables developer. And three or four years ago that was not an easy choice. I think it's a choice that we made on principle. It's a choice we made anticipating that New Zealand had a great future around carbon neutrality and renewable energy. And it's a choice that's led the rest of the market, I have to say. But it hasn't been easy. Keith Turner says New Zealand could be much more energy efficient, utilising more renewable energy and putting more money into researching technology to help reduce carbon emissions. And he says Meridian's putting its money where its mouth is and building the most eco-friendly premises in the country. Uh, so we've just come up onto level one of the building and we're in, a, in an area which is going to be a, a staff kitchen hub, a cafe area. And at the moment they, the stage of construction is just before the jibbing of the, of the internal partitions and you can see it's all timber studs, um, no steel framing or steel studs uh, have been used. Timber's all um, from sustainable source sources, so in this case pine. But even the, all of the finishing timbers um, for the fit-out have been selected so that they're harvested from sustainable sources. And that's verified all the way through from plantation to installation. You can see here the core of the building, which is <coughs> constructed using um, 65% recycled content in the cement mix. So here the um, recycling bins which are used for sorting out waste on site. It's taken away to Wellington City Council to mulch up the timber waste for use in compost and the jib board waste for example mulched up and used in fertilisers.
This is a picture of the future. But many of New Zealand's biggest companies are also some of the largest emitters of greenhouse gases. Some, like Fonterra, New Zealand Steel, the Coal Association and Wholesome Cement, are represented by the Greenhouse Policy Coalition. Its executive director, Catherine Beard, says carbon neutrality is simply not achievable for its members as the costs to offset emissions are too high. It would be cheaper for them to relocate into parts of Asia, for example, where there wouldn't be a price on carbon. So until such time as all of our major trading competitors have a similar price on carbon, then you could pretty clearly say it would put a lot of companies out of business. Some Asian countries like India and China don't have to meet the same stringent emission reduction targets as others under the Kyoto Protocol, as they're considered developing countries. That makes them an attractive alternative base for companies in so-called first world countries which cannot or will not reduce their emissions. The Climate Change Minister David Parker says climate change policy will not be so stringent as to cause businesses to move offshore. And he says claims of competitiveness being put at risk have to be taken with a grain of salt. I think that there's an actual economic incentive for people to say, oh look, this will hurt me, therefore I can't do it. The Stern Review commissioned by the British government at the end of last year noted that claims about competitiveness at risk are routinely overstated and they noted that there are lots of other factors that are relevant to investment decisions and keeping businesses operating in New Zealand including skilled workforce, sunk capital investment, trade access and indeed just loyalty to home country. David Parker says competitiveness at risk issues won't be ignored but just approached with a healthy degree of scepticism. But the goal of New Zealand becoming carbon neutral has been tagged simply nuts by the National Party. Its environment spokesperson is Dr Nick Smith. By saying that we are going to be carbon neutral says that we are going to go harder than any country in the world, except we won't put a date on it, and our emissions are growing at almost faster than any other OECD country. It's not credible. It gets into the area of green spin, and nationals far more interested in a more conventional approach of saying, look, We've got to move away from this carbon dependence. We need to set realistic targets with fixed dates and clear benchmarks going to those about how we're going to reduce our dependence on carbon. Nick Smith says it's ironic that in the same year the Prime Minister says New Zealand should aim for carbon neutrality, there's what he calls a chainsaw massacre going on, with indications he says that 2007 will be a record year for deforestation. Business commentator Rod Oram says while he believes carbon neutrality is possible for companies, achieving it for the country as a whole would be extremely difficult. The boldest thing other countries have done is substantially well below that, and even that is a huge stretch in practical terms. So I was astonished the Prime Minister would raise that, and I actually think that's unwise, because that's raising an incredibly high hope, and it's you know nobody knows how on earth you'd get there. And Green Party co-leader Jeanette Fitzsimons agrees a carbon-neutral New Zealand is a breathtakingly big ask. It means that the country as a whole, from all of its activities, absorbs every atom of carbon that it emits. And it's hard to see how that could be achieved even in my children's lifetime. It certainly couldn't be achieved in mine. But I think it's useful to have a big aspirational goal out there and people are certainly responding to what the Prime Minister said even though everybody's a very, very long way from taking many steps towards it.
The climate change minister, David Parker, says no one's pretending that carbon neutrality can be achieved overnight, but New Zealand is well placed to do it in the long term. I think that New Zealand's got considerable scope to reduce our emissions in the power generation sector, in the transport sector. We've got some really good work being done in the agricultural sector and research to reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions. There will, of course, be a core level of emission in New Zealand that can't be avoided completely, and to that, to the extent that countries can offset those emissions by planting trees, for example, it seems to me that New Zealand's a better place to do that than virtually anywhere in the world. So you know, I think the aspiration's more relevant in New Zealand than it probably is in most parts of the world. Owen McShane is the Director of the Centre for Resource Management Studies and the spokesperson for the New Zealand Climate Science Coalition. He says carbon neutrality is not a credible concept at the moment because there are too many holes in the science. I can make a claim to be carbon neutral and I will have adopted some ideas and yet in three years' time somebody might come and say, look, you're wrong, the science has changed. Now, we all presume that we shouldn't cut down pine trees and turn them into pasture, but there's a large body of science and a large number of scientists who say, no, it's, it's the right thing to do. So, you see, when you have that level of uncertainty, how can one say with confidence that you're carbon neutral and not have two schoolgirls come along and, you know, possibly the same two girls have just found there's no vitamin C in Ribena, come along and say, hey, um, you've got it wrong, we want our money back. Owen McShane says the idea of carbon offsetting is like sitting down on an athletic track and eating a big cream cake, then paying someone else to run around the track to use up the calories. And he says there are serious holes in the offset system, with a lack of regulation opening the sector up to possible scams. We'll get a group of companies, we'll set up a little company probably in another country or in some remote location, and they'll tell us all that they've paid off all these offsets, but they're actually paying themselves. And if our Commerce Commission tries to move, and we're encouraged to think globally, remember, you'll find that these people are out of the jurisdiction. How do you prove that if you paid some group to plant trees in Africa, and then somebody comes along and says, well, actually, they did plant them, but they've all died. How do you prove that, and then how do you recover anything from them? Green Party co-leader Jeanette Fitzsimons agrees the offset industry could be open to scams, but she says regulation isn't necessary. I think the ultimate regulation is the Kyoto Treaty because those offsets will either be Kyoto compliant or they won't be. And if they're not, then nobody's going to get paid for the forest that's on them. So I think there is a natural regulating method in there, but what is needed is information. Consumers need to be told the difference between a genuine Kyoto credit, which is worth money in 2012, and the sort of grey market which is starting to develop now, which isn't ultimately worth anything. Jeanette Fitzsimon says as people start to think about how to offset their emissions, they will need to ask offset providers where their money is going. When asking about offsets, an important concept to get to grips with is additionality. In basic terms, additionality asks if a project being used to offset emissions would have happened anyway without the carbon credits. So those in the offset business have to demonstrate that their project would have not gone ahead under a business-as-usual approach. But Jeanette Fitzsimon says proving additionality is a murky business. Consumers aren't going to know whether that bit of hillside was going to be allowed to revert anyway or not. And I don't think you can ever completely solve that problem. The government tried very much with its projects to reduce emissions scheme earlier to prove that things were additional. But people will make out the business case in the way that suits them. 
Minister David Parker says the offset industry is already covered by existing legislation, but further regulation could be looked at. Well, there's already regulation there effectively in respect of the Fair Trading Act. Whether there needs to be something more than that, I suppose we should consider that. I'm convinced that the present scheme that's offered by Landcare is probably one of the more robust schemes in the world. So for Kimberly Rothwell, busy planting trees in Wellington's backyards, is her effort worth it? Carbon Zero's technical manager, Professor Anne Smith, says in order for her to offset her upcoming flight to Auckland, she will have to plant a lot more than a couple of trees. She says that while tree planting is attractive, in terms of sinking enough carbon to cover off emissions, it's not going to be enough. And the way to visualise this is that, for example, your car will generate between three and four tonnes of carbon dioxide emissions a year. And on the EBEX projects, we are generating roughly three tonnes per hectare. So you've got to think about, to offset your car for a year, you would have to plant around about a hectare of land with trees. Green Party co-leader Jeanette Fitzsimon says because so few people are trying to offset at the moment, it's relatively easy to find bits of marginal land to plant on, but that will change. Quite soon, the amount of land that is available at such a low price for that sort of activity will all be used up. And then the price of offsetting will go up dramatically. And that is true not just in a New Zealand sense, but in a world sense. The Director of Environmental Studies at Victoria University, Professor Rafe Chapman, says there are other long-term problems with relying on trees to offset emissions. He says if the world warms to about three degrees above pre-industrial levels, then trees will start releasing carbon instead of absorbing it. We don't know when that's going to happen, and it's going to happen in different forests and in different latitudes um, at different times. But the risk is that once the world warms to around three degrees Celsius above where we are now, then there's a major risk of that happening. And as we head towards that, the amount of carbon released is actually going to rise quite rapidly. And that, that's what you'd call a tipping point or runaway greenhouse warming. We just don't want to go there. It's far too risky. Rafe Chapman says projections suggest the planet is almost halfway to a dangerous level of warming and the use of carbon neutrality as a tool to combat that warming should only be relied upon for the next 10 or 15 years as a bridge to serious reductions in emissions.